And now, proper propaganda. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Go by the name of Q-Ward most of the time. Mm, that's all right. Once upon a time, there was a DJ on the front of there. <laughs> Sometimes my mom substitutes the ward for dirty. <laughs> Q-Dirty is a whole different name that I'll explain to you guys at some point in the future. <laughs> well, uh, we are the dynamic duo, and we got a lot more show for you. So be sure to stick around because uh, we're going to discuss the statement, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. We're also going to talk about the origins of yoga, the true origins of yoga, and uh, give our thoughts on that, because I think that this is a beautiful thing. It's, it's kind of a combination of things, not just one and then it went there. Or someone took something. It's just we're all in this together. And I like that. But first, uh, we're going to discuss how to become a better ally. And so... Uh, this comes from The Guardian. Um, and for this, we're going to shout out um, our friends from across the pond. So um, now people who post racist abuse online could be banned from attending football matches in England. We'll call it soccer. Uh, from football matches in England and Wales for up to 10 years, Preeti Patel has said, um, so real quick, the uh, this is the uh, the home secretary, right? Um, that's a title of a position over there. But for those that don't know, uh, for the, for our non-black listeners, because I'm sure our black listeners are probably well aware of this, a lot of times if there are black players playing, you know, soccer in big matches over there, people will throw like banana peels on the field to suggest that the black players are monkeys. Um, they will do racist taunts. They will do all kinds of really offensive things. And then, of course, post racist stuff online. I'll continue. Uh, Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, is reportedly bringing forward legislation. So football uh, banning orders, which can be imposed on those convicted of violence, disorder and racist or homophobic chanting can be expanded to include online hate offenses. There's a quote. Racism is unacceptable, and for too long, football has been marred by this shameful prejudice, Patel said. Those responsible for racist abuse online must be punished. The changes to the law I'm announcing will make sure they are banned from attending football matches. Um, it's not everything, but it's not nothing. And we like that. We like anybody that, that aspires to become a better ally. And we think that Preeti Patel and uh, all those who are supporting this legislation are doing just that and um, we're hoping that we inspire people to do that here as well so that is how accountability you... is very important absolutely that's that's what i have to say about that well all right so now um this is one that we we've talked around it for a long time q and i but we haven't talked about it on the show um you know the person they say something that is upsetting. Everyone groans. Usually this person is white and this person is around other white folks. And we recognize that a good number of our listeners are white, you know, 
but they'll say something and misread the room or whatever. And it just doesn't land. It's something racially based or some, something like that. Right. And then everyone looks at them like, Oh, did you just say that? Or did you just do that? Or, or is this real? And they will say, Oh my God, I didn't mean that. I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Right. We all know who this person is. This might even have been you. Right. And it's cool. I have a black friend. <laughs> At least one. Right. You got a couple of those too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, so we need to talk about this because it is possible to be racist and have a black friend. Um, many people harbor racist ideas and exhibit racist behavior despite growing up in racially diverse environments. Um, I think it's, her name is Jane Elliott. She's a teacher, but like the biggest Baba, the biggest uh, like uh, ally and champion of equality and fairness and equity uh, that I've seen in the education system, at least um, in my lifetime. She's an older white woman. She's famous for doing the brown eyed versus blue eyed study as a metaphor for racism. You know, you can't born, you can't, you're born with your color eyes and people with this color eyes get to do this and people with that color eyes, you know, 30% of you have to stay here and blah, you know, that sort of thing. And then has dedicated her life to um, other experiments and in, in, in speaking in that way. Um, she says something that I believe is very potent and relevant to what we're talking about right here. She says, if you're white in America and you are not racist, then you haven't been paying attention. I believe that's almost an exact quote from her. And I know what she's saying. She, she, I mean, you could look, look this up. I, forgive me. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that I would think of her in this moment, but so I didn't prepare any of her words, but she, I know that she explains that um, this country, this is built in your likeness, in your image. When you look around and you see what's, when I say police officer, a white man just popped in your head. When I say judge, same thing. When I say doctor, you know, blah, 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 you know, on and on and on, right? When I see, when I say uh, model in a shampoo commercial, guess what kind of hair she has in your mind? It's not my hair. It's not the, my, my son's hair. It's not my sister's hair. It's the hair that you thought of. And you know, you know exactly what I mean, right? And she, and these are the points that she's illustrating in, in her talk. I, I, I have to find it and share it with you um, we'll, or we'll share it on social media or you can you know, look it up yourself. Um, again, her name is Jane Elliott, I believe. Um, but uh, it's things like that, that position or maybe position is not the right word, but frame the world around It's it's white male centric, at least in this country. You know, um, I, I could make an argument that it's that way across the world, but you know, we're talking about the U.S. and so that we'll we'll keep it here. Um, and 
has established that as the platonic ideal, right? This is just kind of, like I said, when you think of the police officer, who does that person look like? And you're not wrong. I think it's 60% of police officers are white men, not white men and women, white men. And then 40% of them are white women, black men, black women, Asian, Hispanic, on and on and on, you know what I mean? Other, but the huge majority is white men. Um, Challenging racist thoughts begins with examining the things that you take for granted, you know, because you might not think, or this person that you thought of that says, oh, I got a black friend, they might not think they're racist, but the truth is, once you start to examine things that you take for granted, especially things that other people may not be able to take for granted, then you start to realize where your biases lie. Uh, Dare I say your privilege lies, right? Um, We've said it on the show before, Q and I, privilege is not a bonus check. It's not a, a, a head start per se. It's just not being born with a strike against you. It's not the same amount of hurdles on your journey. You know, it's not the same amount of pitfalls. It could be the same distance, you know? So for you, it just looks like I had to work hard. I had to do all this stuff. I worked and there was no privilege, no fairy godmother. I didn't inherit any money. There's no white privilege. Um, But what that doesn't account for is the potential pitfalls that are present when you don't look like that when you're not born a healthy, white, straight, Christian male uh, in the United States. Um, There are some people who are born with one or more of those things not being the case for them. And those things might make it a little bit more difficult for them to get to what their idea of utopia is, right? Um, or even just success, even if it's just enough, you know, there's, there's pitfalls all over the place. And it's hard to see that if you're looking at your struggle and saying, well, I had to struggle too, right? Everybody's, I mean, nobody gets out of this thing alive, right? So everybody's got their own stuff to deal with. But when you account for the fact that other people got more to deal with, it starts to help give you some perspective, right? And this statement, I'm not racist, I have a black friend, is very dangerous because people that say this and things like this don't critically examine their biases. They don't know. They genuinely think, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. Meaning like, I can like this black person. This person has been to my house, our kids have played together, that's that. But, you know, when they cast a vote, they don't consider how will this vote impact these other people? How does it alter the reality of these other people, right? When I chose not to vote for Donald Trump, the name I shouldn't have said, but whatever. When I chose not to vote for him, that wasn't because of me. It could, that could have been enough of a reason by itself. But that was for my Hispanic brothers and sisters. I remember that because he was talking about building a wall. And I remember everybody that I knew for those that don't know, I live in Arizona, um, and I, I was born in California. My whole life was shaped 
by what was once Mexico, all the street names, the foods, the people that live here, the beans, the rice, the cheese, it grows from the ground. Food is not racist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People are so weird. Anyway, um, all these people that I know and love that have helped shape my life, hopefully I've helped shape their lives too. I realize that if in a parallel universe, like a weird alternative reality, I would have voted for that man who was saying build the wall and all this stuff, all this flagrant stuff that was really scary to them, that his being elected could alter their reality. You know, I, you know, I made enough money where conceivably I could have voted for that man and it would have benefited me. You know, I, I you know, I don't really, I, you know, I would not be at the worst end of his policies, the receiving end of a lot of his more negative whatever. You know, I know that, but I also recognize that this is not just my world, right? And so, again, being able to examine the world from beyond just your front porch really helps. And when you say things like, I'm not racist, I have a black friend, it it chops you. It's like you chopping yourself off at the knees in terms of limiting your potential to grow and to learn. How can I be better? I want to be better for you. If you are that white, Christian, healthy, straight male, I want to be a better brother to you because that is my journey. I want to be better to everybody because I believe that I can be as good as I think I am. I think I can do better and still do better. And when you say things like, well, I'm not racist because of this, or I'm not racist because of that. I went to, I went to college with a black guy. You know what I mean? It, it gives you a false sense of, uh, you, it gives you like a false barrier to hide behind in your own mind and you develop a complex. And then everything that you do, that keeps it in check. And you don't really check yourself like, oh, that might've been a little out of pocket. What do you think, you? There's a lot to unpack here. You know what I mean? The a person with a black friend can be racist in the same way that a person with a daughter can be a rapist in the same way that a person with a family who they have no intention on killing can be a serial killer, right? The presence of something that fits into the group that you offend doesn't mean that you're not against that group. Uh, and in some cases I, I have to be fair. And we've talked about this before. Sometimes those biases are implicit. They're not even, some of those people are not even aware of them. Yeah. yeah. Right. And their head, their black friend is an exceptional black person. So I'm not talking about you, Rams. I mean, them, you're my friend. Of course, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the ones that drink the Hennessy. You're well-spoken and articulate, Rams. I don't mean you as if you're one of one or a unicorn because you're intelligent and can, and, and can articulate. Um, and a lot of those biases are born out of what our capitalist country did very intentionally. And that's making minorities the enemy of the white man, even if the white man is poor and has far more in common with those oppressed and held back minorities, right? Give them someone to hate, give them somebody to point to as to why their version of the American dream isn't happening. So there are poor people, poor white people all around the country that have to be looking like, what are you talking about white privilege? I'm poor. My dad was poor. His dad was poor. So we sound crazy when we're talking about white privilege to a certain sector of our population, but they're being held back and pressed down 
by the same laws and same ideology that their non-Caucasian brothers and sisters are being held down by, except they don't think it should be happening to them. (laughs) So someone else has to be the reason why. I think that in and of itself is... Never mind. I, that, I don't want to go in that direction. I do want to share a quick story to your point. Um, once upon a time, I knew a person, his name was Jared. And Jared and I were friends. I would go and hang out with him every weekend. Um, and, and his roommate was really my friend, but Jared was there. Jared loved me. We all hung out. It was my guy, right? Jared's white, maybe a year or two older than me. He was really into sports, which I totally was not. But um, he knew that I knew a little bit about basketball, like early 90s basketball. And Shaquille O'Neal was a name that I knew and whatever. So he tells me this story. He's like, man, Shaq did something the other day. I forget what the story was, but he's like, yeah, Shaq. And it was something he was disappointed in Shaquille O'Neal for doing. Right? So he's like, yeah, Shaq did this and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and you know, I think that that's, that's, that's one guy where I think it's okay to use the N-word. And I was like, huh, huh, huh. You know that like laugh where you're like, uh-oh, did he really just say that? Because, you know, the way he's setting it up is like it's going to be funny. So your body, I think, is prepared to laugh. And then once your mind catches up and processes the words, it like chokes the laugh from coming out. And so that's the noise that you heard. And I did this little half laugh and then he kind of did a little chuckle and, you know, uh, James, our other friend was in the, like kind of on the way to the kitchen or something like that. So he kind of overheard, but he was, he wasn't engaged. Right. So he had a bit of an audience, me and 50% of James. So it just, it felt like a joke that didn't land, but he knew better because I'm really good at making people uncomfortable. Right. So um, I kind of sat with it and, you know, he s- said something else and tried to change the subject and you know, that sort of stuff. But, you know, I really had to like come to terms with like, how in the world, like, I, 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 I can't do that. And I'm like, do I educate him or is he a lost cause or like, you know, you have to figure out who you are in that moment. So I get it. You know, sometimes you got to, cause that's a hard line. For me and for a lot of you, if you're listening to us, that perhaps is a hard line for you too, but it doesn't, it's not easy to cut that limb off. You know what I'm saying? You have to figure out how you're going to do it or if it's necessary, can we save it? You know, can this person, you know what I mean? You don't want to just give up on people. But obviously for me, with the story of my life, it's not something that I'm able to tolerate, right? So I sit with it and he's trying to change the subject. He comes back around. He's like, yo, man, listen, um, I noticed when I said that thing about Shaq, he didn't say the N-word. He said the N-word. Yeah, yeah, he said the phrase, right? Um, but conveyed the full weight of what he was trying to say to me. He's like, hey, man, I, I know you know that I didn't say that word. And of course, I would never talk about you like that. I was trying to say, you know, Shaq, because of what he did, I think it's okay to call him that. And I was like, mm, man, strike two. You know what I mean? Um, and I took a moment and I says to him, listen, when you use that word, you're using that word 
because he's black. If Shaq was not black, you would not that that sentence would not have come out of your mouth. So that word is associated with blackness in your mind. And that we don't even have to go any further than that. We don't have to go any further than that. But we can. Because even at that young age, I might have been 17 and 18, somewhere in there, 21 years ago. But even at that young age, I was able to say, listen, man, there's a lot of stuff that you need to like really deal with. Um, and, and don't get don't get it twisted. You know, racism is not just the N word. In fact, that's a very, very small part of racism. That's perhaps the kind that you can make an argument that, you know, a lot of people prefer that kind of racism. It's that quiet racism that's powerful, that shapes societies and lifetimes and outcomes. That's the racism that really, that's the monster. Somebody calling you the N-word is like, okay, well, I know not to walk down this street no more or whatever, you know. Um, so don't think that just because you don't say the N-word or someone else doesn't say the N-word that they can't be, you know, harbor these sorts of thoughts, sentiments, or contribute to shaping the society that is a white supremacist society, a racist society. Um, I do want to read this though real quick. In one of his most famous studies, uh, Gordon Allport conducted surveys of white soldiers who fought alongside black soldiers during World War II. He discovered that in companies where both black and white platoons, white soldiers disliked black people far less than did white soldiers who served in segregated units. Uh, meaning that in mixed platoons, uh, white soldiers were, there wasn't as much in the way of hard feelings. Everybody just kind of was having a human experience together. When it was segregated, they kind of looked down on the white soldiers or on the black soldiers. White soldiers looked down on black soldiers in segregated companies. Um, but Allport found it was not enough for whites and non-whites to simply know one another. Other conditions also had to be met, such as personal interaction, equal status, and both groups sharing common goals. Allport's findings, which were replicated with civilians in varying settings, proved that hatred and racism stem from a lack of contact. Um, and the historian Rutger Bergman, or Brigman, wrote an essay describing uh, Allport's work. Here's a quote. We generally wild, we generalize wildly about strangers because we don't know them, Bergman wrote. So the remedy seemed obvious, more contract. When you say I have a black friend, it shows your willingness to reach across racial lines to learn about a person, but not about a culture. So don't limit yourself, okay? And we got about a minute left. I do want to share this. Um, Q, his best friend, is white. Me, my best friend. I've known him since he was three. I was seven when we met. He's white. His name, you can look him up. If you're listening on the radio, you might be a fan of radio. Look him up. Blue Light Kev. Best friend. Best man at his wedding. The whole nine. Uh, I think Tommy was the best man at your wedding, right? Yes, sir. And I was his. Exactly. Our best friends are, I mean, we're best friends too, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Our lifelong best friends, white. 
they would never say, I'm not racist, I have a black friend. They would never be in the situation in the first place, but also they would know how to approach that with a bit more sensitivity and never hide behind that. Um, and, they, and they also have excellent relationships with way more than one black person. Person, exactly. And so again, it's not a, it, it's not a person, it's a culture. So just going to leave you with that. Use it with your friends, use it with yourself. But now it is time for the Way Black History Fact. I did yoga once. I did the downward dog and I did, my favorite was the happy baby. The downward dog. Rambling. You want to hear something funny too? So I took my son with me. He was a baby at the time. And uh, I went to a yoga class and um, he had his little, he was trying to do what we were doing in the yoga class, right? And uh, so he, had, he was on his back with his little baby feet in the air, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I took a picture of him and I posted it on my Facebook or something. And the caption said, my dog stay downward, you know, cause that's my dog. You know, that's my I thought that was so fun. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, I am a big fan of yoga, even though I don't practice it. I, I just appreciate yogis and, and the, the culture and all that sort of stuff. Um, I got more into like meditating and that sort of thing. Um, yoga was more physical and uh, I probably will get into it eventually, but I want to read this. This comes from yogainternational.com. Okay, so you can read it yourself. Yoga researchers have found evidence to suggest that yoga not only originated in India, but also has roots in parts of Africa, particularly Egypt. The practice of yoga was created by brown and black people as a tool for spiritual growth as a way to integrate the spiritual element with physical experience. Over time, the practice has evolved into many different forms, some more accessible than others. Today, many people have a distinct expectation of what yoga should look like, an expectation that often has little to no connection to yoga's roots. If we choose to look at modern yoga as a collection of mindful movements, we can see that other cultures have had an influence on yoga's history and evolution. We can, for example, see the Western influence through many accessible yoga modalities, as well as the development of fitness-centered yoga. Kemetic yoga, which originated in Egypt, focuses on the movement of energy through the body in order to connect with one's higher intelligence and the divine. One practices Kemetic yoga at a much slower pace than in a standard asana class and there is more of a focus on meditation and the chakras uh, which are energy centers the physical poses of comedic yoga are taken from ancient illustrations of egyptian gods and goddesses it is a practice with african roots that has been largely ignored by mainstream yoga culture this comes from yogainternational.com i didn't write this um, this is not surprising given the history of oppression against people of african descent in north america the contributions of people of color to modern society, society rarely make it into history books, and even though they played a huge part in the development of modern world culture. Several preeminent researchers of Kemetic Yoga uh, and Kemetic culture, particularly Sihu Kipara Ankh, St. Clair Drake, and Yersir Rahotep, aim to make the practice of Kemetic Yoga more widely known 
especially the African influence on contemporary spiritual practices. Kemet, or KMT, was an ancient name for Egypt during the era of the pharaohs. Shout out to all the pharaohs one time. That, that's kind of an inside joke between me and Q, because my name is Ramses, and that's I'm named after a pharaoh, Ramses II. So, haha. <laughs> um, research suggests that the first Egyptians were black-skinned and came from the Sudan, Ethiopia, and Southern Arabia, as well as Babylon. The Kemetic people designed and built pyramids and made important contributions in many fields, including mathematics, architecture, chemistry, medicine, and more. Um, they expressed their ideas in sacred symbols, such as those found in the pyramids and in the tombs like that belonging to Tutankhamun and Ramses II, the person my father named me after. Yusur Rahotep is the most senior instructor of Kemetic Yoga in the United States. He states, quote, through modern eyes, what those ancient people meant by their symbolic drawings and carvings appear obscure and mysterious. Through the eyes of one enlightened to their worldview, their obvious and magnificent messages are easily understood, end quote. As teachers and practitioners of higher consciousness, we need to be open to the idea that yoga is much larger than we perceive it to be or have been taught to believe, and that it, its origins are likely far richer and more complex than what we think and understand about modern yoga culture today. It is important for Black people and other people of color to know that our history is valid. The world belongs to us too, and our experiences and contributions matter. Black and brown lives matter and are an important part of the creation of the world we have today. People need to recognize this, allowing a culture to know its roots and take pride in its contribution to society and to acknowledge its heritage and tradition takes nothing away from the dominant culture. It does not oppress the dominant culture, but rather it enriches the experience of all of us. If people of color are celebrated for our accomplishments and are seen as equals in this culture, we can begin to dismantle white supremacy and finally focus on healing this society and this world. Again, yogainternational.com. That's not, uh, you know, uh, you know, blackity black, black, black.com. This is like the bona fide yoga people. I, I was just as surprised to read this, but that, I mean, I, I read a few articles, but this was the one that really kind of captured everything that I wanted to say in researching this. Um, I kind of knew this for some time, but um, of course, in doing this show, I've been made to study all kinds of neat little things like this and to kind of know that uh, not only is it more beautiful when it's fleshed out like this, but the people that are acknowledging it are doing so with some flair you know, some, you know, it's almost celebrated that that feels kind of special. Um, your thoughts, you know, what you think? Our history and its richness continues to inspire me, continues to make me feel proud and continues to make me more curious. I want to know more. I want to learn more. Mm. Um, I'm proud of us. Yeah. You know, I think Maya Angelou said it still we rise. Yeah. And, you know, we thousands of years of history removed from history books. Um, they've done a lot to try to erase 
the richness of what our people has brought have brought to this planet to civilization to science to medicine to all forms of everything so the more i learn about things like this the more excited the more inspired and the more proud i am i love that well that's um that's that's about all the time that we have for today. So once again, we want to thank you for tuning in to Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, and we really do appreciate your support. I can't I can't stress that enough. Uh, this has been the most amazing ride. Uh, and we're still on it and we're still growing and there's a lot more growth opportunities and you can help us out with those. Um, as always, you can hit the website civiccypher.com and make a donation. That's really how the show has been growing. You can also submit any questions or topics you want us to discuss. Um, you can follow us on all of our social media at Civic Cipher. And of course, you can download this and any previous episodes uh, of the show at civiccypher.com. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated showing you where rhyme travel is. Worlds is pitoned from sunlight to moon. Busting on stage like gunfights the moon. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists were journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda What's happening? You got a question, then ask it The news is just a TV show Get past it And this from a quiet